not from around here. His quiet nature and whip-smart advice has a certain tone to its delivery. Always one to crack a joke, Alan has endeared himself to his community, friends, and Team Rubicon teammates. If laughter was a signature move, Alan can dance in circles. Special moments in Team Rubicon's history have had Alan part of them. From Moore, Oklahoma to the Philippines, Alan has been there from the start of many milestones. If you have been a part of Sawyer Operations, Alan has helped formulate how we do the great work to be done out in the field. Always placing a high value on training, joyful work, and being prepared has been important to Alan in his Team Rubicon and private life. Alan Mangan. Hi, Mike. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? Thanks so much for coming on the show and, and uh, look forward to hearing a few little nuggets of wisdom from you over the next little bit. Uh, before we get started, I definitely want everybody to know um, who you are, where you are, where you're from, because there's a lot in that to unpack. So uh, do that thing. Do that part. I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> um, I just want to say I love the smooth right. jazz at the start of your podcast. It kind of uh, reminds me of the BBC World Series in 1984 on the radio. Yeah, Thank you fantastic. for that. <laughs> I, should, I feel like I'd be smoking a pipe inside in a, a little room somewhere. Uh, uh, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> that's a good start. <laughs> uh, I was born in uh, a small town in East Cork in, uh, called Yall uh, in Ireland, Southern Ireland. Uh, beautiful little fishing town, touristy town. Um, absolutely love it. Uh, go back as much as I can. Um, eight kids in the family. Mother and father were uh, very hardworking and had a lot of stuff going on. Um, my dad was the local milkman as well as lots of other stuff. He was very involved in all kinds of stuff. And he had like, little, you know, the pickup trucks. So he would be involved in construction and working in the woods. And my uncle were, they were all involved in the woods and stuff. So quite a large family, four boys and four girls inside in the house. So it was fun. Uh, I was number seven. Um, grew up there and loved it. Uh, Always thought that I would leave. Um, always, you know, such as Ireland at the time in the uh, in the, the early '90s, and you know, a lot of people had been leaving, and a lot of my friends were thinking about leaving, going to different places, and I always wanted to be like go far off and see the world, and always had a plan. So um, I kind of I came up in, in a roundabout way. I ended up in uh, in Boston in around '94, uh, I think, late '94, early '95. I had a friend uh, living in the city there, and I, I had no plans on staying there. Um, come, come over for two weeks, ended up in a town there in uh, West Roxbury, and ended up there for many, many years uh, working and living around the Boston area and all that, and uh, kind of threw my anchor out there for a little while. And uh, you kind of settled down really quickly, got into the Irish community there, and was never kind of really kind of never called it home for the first five or six years, but then I got so attached to a place, I started to really love it. Work construction and ended up working in the tunnel systems there. Um, settled down somewhat. Um, uh, had a, a relationship and, and got married and we were doing a lot of traveling as well as working. And we went to, we spent a lot of time around Asia and traveling back and forth to Ireland. Always loved the traveling. And then uh, in 2001, I, I, uh, I had a kidney transplant kind of put my, yeah, put my, wow. myself my, on the back heel a little bit, but um, 
you know, I kind of got over it. It was actually my ex-wife donated a kidney to me, which was kind of an interesting story. Uh, wow. <laughs> you, you know the story, Michael, well. And uh, I do. so we uh, shortly, well, a little bit after that, we kind of got divorced, which was kind of awkward. And um, I kind of ended up on my own uh, for a good many years in Boston, deciding what I was going to do with myself and was traveling quite a lot myself and, you know, didn't really know what the next plan was. And, and then I was in uh, a pretty big uh, accident in the tunnel. So kind of hit me more than the transplant because with a kidney transplant, you're feeling really crappy and you come out of it really good and you feel really good. But with the accident, I knew that there was yeah. permanent damage done and I'd really have to change my life. Uh, the physical damage was just huh. a bit much and I knew I wouldn't go back to really the hard physical labor and tunnel work and construction work and all that that I'd been doing. So it was kind of at the crossroads of my life. Um, one evening, uh, very unlike me, I was walking down uh, in the city and I decided to have a drink. I usually wouldn't go into a pub, but it, that I don't know what happened, but I ended up in a pub. And um, I met a girl that was on a date, and uh, she was on a date with a guy that was pretending to be an Irish guy, which was kind of funny. He was actually an American, but <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up chatting, and um, I met Deanna, and then uh, and, I, and then I, you know, she she told me she had a, a little girl at the time, Kylie. So that was the the two loves of my life right there, and um, we changed everything wow. and moved to New Hampshire, and and we're we're in New Hampshire right now, so. Um, and at the moment, we, we live in Exeter, New Hampshire, bought a house here. I, I work four minutes away from my house. I'm a facilities director in nice. a, kind of an exclusive retirement community, um, 650 residents from all over the world, and really love my job. So in a roundabout way, this is where I was meant to be for a little while. So I love Exeter and love New Hampshire. Yep. Nice. Well, and, and that's where I had a chance to meet you in 2016. Uh, we were doing a chainsaw instructor course there in Hebron, New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, you kind of got to, uh, being a part of one of Alan Mangan's, uh, classes is always a treat because, uh, he does not do anything by the book. He does everything through storytelling. Um, but I, I, I will, I will give Alan some accolades in, 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 in one little aspect that the best thing I learned as a chainsaw instructor, I learned from you. And, and I mean that I'm not, I'm not making fun of you at all. Uh, but, uh, you, you have this, uh, tendency to put your hands in your pockets and just bury them there. And you have to use your words to help coach somebody through if their saw gets stuck or they're having a challenge or they, they're not doing what they want to do, but it really allows you to coach somebody through their mistake which is, I think, is a powerful tool uh, working with adults. So uh, that's my little, that's the only nice little accolade I'll give you the rest of this. It might, it might get contentious. <laughs> I didn't even deserve that one good little, little biscuit you threw here. It was, it was, it was, <laughs> was pretty nice good, one. though. I'll take it. The few and far between in my life. <laughs> so what I, you know, how did you get connected with Team Rubicon? Uh, you know, here you are, this, you know, Formerly Irish guy, which I guess you're never formally Irish. You're always Irish. It doesn't really go away. Um, and how did you get introduced to Team Rubicon there in New Hampshire? It was kind of a weird little kind of thing. Uh, it kind of fell into place. I had, um, after my accident, I, I, you know, I was in the city living on my own and I decided what was I going to do? I was always kind of interested in like the traveling and what could I do to help people or maybe get a different job. So I went to Northeastern University mm -hmm. and took a EMT class, really into it. Um, and then I got connected with uh, Special Olympics, started, uh, you know, volunteering for the Special Olympics, which led to CERT training, 
and then to the Red Cross, and then the International Red Cross. Uh, one day we were doing the tag football in Gillette Stadium, uh, where the Patriots hang out, and uh, for mm-hmm. Special Olympics. And a lady approached me and asked me, would I be interested in doing International Red Cross because I have, you know, the citizenship, so I have two passports. Mm-hmm. And I was interested. Right. So I went home and I was thinking about it, started looking into different organizations, and then uh, probably 2012, um, I found Team Rubicon online. So I actually signed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I didn't think much of it. It kind of seemed kind of pretty cool and stuff. And I was like, man, eh, maybe. And then at the same time, I was kind of moving to New Hampshire, and um, I got involved with um, a hurling club, which is a national sport of of Ireland, and it was called the Barley House Wolves, which was actually a veterans group of guys that came back from Iraq and decided instead of you know going to the pub or whatever they want to do, they were going to play the Irish sport of hurling. I was invited to enter right. the club, and I got involved with the veteran community and very interesting and i heard the guy's stories and then i went back and i you know i think it was um hurricane sandy was coming and i said you know that little group that i saw online maybe i'll you know it was just a google search so maybe they're doing something and i went and i put my name in and i didn't get picked and i was really pissed mm-hmm. <laughs> just kidding but uh <laughs> they didn't pick me to go to uh, new york and new jersey at the time so i kind of sat around and i was like yeah maybe it wasn't for me and started doing other stuff and then one day uh, in May in 2013, I think, um, I was waiting for Kai, um, my stepdaughter, to come off the school bus. And uh, there was breaking news on TV. And it said there was tornadoes, really bad ones, hitting a place you know called Moore, Oklahoma, Minko, and Moore, just adjoining towns. And it was incredible amount of tornadoes hitting at the one time. And it was after hitting a school, the Park Plaza School. So I kind of mm. got, you know, it kind of perked my interest. And I said, maybe I'll go and help. <clears throat> and um, I ended up uh, going back online that evening, finding te- you know finding Team Rubicon, put my name down, and then I got picked to go to Moore, Oklahoma. So that's kind of where it started. Like, it was really quick when it started to happen. It was really quick, and I ended up going to Moore for the first time. And that. And, and how was that experience? I mean, the first time you deployed, Team Rubicon's still pretty new, and you go on to which for a long time that was the largest you know thing that we'd ever done. Uh, how was it was that kind of uh, weird because um, I got a call and I, so they told me that I was going to leave on Saturday. Org Action was the the program at the time. It was a really antiquated thing, but it did work. And you had to fill out like a little billet, little section. It was like, I think it was a picture of a little cot and a guy in a bed. I can't remember. But I clicked the buttons and I said I'd go for a week or whatever. So I had no correspondence, really very little. And I was supposed to leave on Saturday from Logan. I got a little bit worried on Friday night. I was like, geez, is this a prank? Am I going to go to Logan and I'm going to get kidnapped? <laughs> Because I'm the perfect kidnap victim because I'm so petite. And <laughs> I always think people want to kidnap me for some reason. I don't know. People usually try to get rid of me, but I have this feeling that people want me, but they don't. And um, I got this phone call from uh, a guy. And when I answered the phone, he had an Irish accent. It was Sean Horgan, who was the main guy in Region 1 at the time. So I said, Jesus, I know Mick is involved in this. We're all doomed. So uh, he said, yeah, I'm going to go as well. And it's my first time kind of deploying, like we're going to do this thing. And so I met him at Logan. We had a couple of beers, settled ourselves down. And uh, yeah, I met a group, great group, Sean Baker, uh, Tracy, uh, Joe. There was just a little group going at the time. And we ended up in uh, war in the middle of the night. But um, that was quite the opener for me. Uh, it was oh, yeah. a fairly large operation. Um, you know, they were doing ICS there. Obviously, the organization was there. To, to, but I mean, as far as equipment and all that it was just very new for everybody and very exciting time mm-hmm. um and that just kind of it hooked me and you know i did that first trip with the guys and i came home 
And then uh, Chad Reynolds reached out and asked me to go again like the next week. So I was back. I did, I did a couple of deployments down there. And that's how I became really involved in Team Rubicon was the Moore situation. I saw the devastation. It was like unbelievable. And I, I was, you know, I was, I felt I could help. So, and that's why I went there for very, very positive stuff. And you were doing, you know, what was, what were you doing in Moore when they got you there? I mean, here's this small <laughs> Irish man. <laughs> what the, what well, did they the have you do? Irish guy was, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> guy was, uh, we were going to demo some houses and, as you know, I have an interest in, in construction and everything. So I kind of poked my nose mm-hmm. around. Uh, the first day on the FOB, which is in a Home Depot parking lot, um, I met this large, beardy, burly guy called Chris Dominski, who was set up in a little uh, like a little shed, and he had all his chainsaws. So I wandered on down to Chris, and I knew he was just weary of everybody coming by him and saying, I like chainsaws, and I know about And he kind of looked at me like he was kind of worn down, and I was like, hey, I kind of, I like yeah. She's like, oh yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. We started chatting and then we, he'd realized that I actually had run some chainsaws a little bit. And, and then the next day we we had a chainsaw team going. It was kind of cool. So, and that's how we got involved in the whole chainsaw stuff. Yeah. And it didn't scare you. Know, you it was off. really good. Uh, Cause I, I, I was, <laughs> you know, I, I used to cut a lot of timber and I had a lot of trainings done and, you know, I had a good background in it. So, I felt that's where I could really help. And uh, we formed star teams down there. It was really good. Had a, had a great time. And that was the start yeah. of the chainsaw stuff. Nice. <laughs> so from, from Moore, Oklahoma uh, in 2000, I guess it was 13, wasn't it? Um, you know, it, it kind of blossomed. You, you got busy and, and did some stuff with the chainsaw program and kind of catch us up to, you know, from then to what you've been doing today. Yeah. Today is a, you know, like years down the road. I think with the Chainsaw program, it kind of was, you know, very new. We came out in war. We had a lot of discussions about training. Uh, the first training class we had was one Tuesday morning when they asked me to do a little training class on there. So we put a lot of work into the curriculum and stuff. Nate Jacobs went to my backyard and we worked on this Chainsaw curriculum. Now it's developed into mm-hmm. this major, major thing with some incredible people involved, including yourself that have been involved for a long time. You know, Jesse, Kurt, Dan, like Junior, all these guys are so involved. And uh, today, from the simple trainings that I've taken with TR and all the different, you know, it does nothing like your resume that says that you're volunteering. You know, having your ICS stuff done. I I do a lot of hiring here and I'm always looking for the person that has that volunteering. Mm -hmm. And so it's primarily how I got this. I really love my job. And uh, the main reason is I had all the volunteering on my resume, which is extreme. And that's what I kind of take care of a lot of people. Uh, the ICS training I got from Team Rubicon, we use it here nearly every day at work. Um, yeah, we did a major awesome. generator uh, change over here, a million-dollar job, and we actually ran it with the fire department and police and everyone else involved. It's an ICS system. I put the ICS system in place here at work, and that's how we made it work. Um, my job, <laughs> I owe a lot to Team Rubicon for getting this job, I have to say, and just my day-to-day operations. <laughs> I take care of a lot of guys at one time. So. Um, just from that experience with the incident command system that, yep. that we train on and, and utilize when we're out in operation. Yeah, just from the, and awesome. I always I took advantage of any trainings. You know, I was in the laborers union for a long time and uh, any training they ever offered, a lot of people didn't take it. I was one to always jump on training. I would take anything I could on anything because you never know when you're going to need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, that's, right. you know, when we were working on the chainsaw program to start, uh, Nate Jacobs came to my backyard and Nate is an incredibly smart guy. And he said, we're going to write this curriculum and we're going to work on it. And we literally went through 
um, we taught it, we kind of put it together like it was taking the chainsaw part. I've done many chainsaw classes in Europe and stuff. And uh, we did kind of, we, we, we morphed it into like a firearms training, like that six hour, which is actually right up the street from my house. Um, when you go to a training right. there, they do it exactly like we put that chainsaw program together. It's the same deal. Because I thought people right. would recognize it and be able to, to, you know, the muscle memory of taking things apart and putting them back together was supposed to be based on that. And that's how the start mm -hmm. of that came. And it just built up into this huge thing, which is it is today. It's incredible. It is. It's a great program. It's something that really resonated with me, um, you know, and having a, a fire background both before and, you know, after that, um, that experience. But the program is great. And, it, you know, I, I, I've talked to... Oh, Kevin Starling was on, and of course he he was a big part of that, and was out in that same class yep. in 2016. And but I, I do what I love about the chainsaw program. What I, I love about a lot of the trainings that we do in the organization is not only is it good information, like just good information that you can use outside of Team Rubicon as far as safety and just process procedure, but it's also a cultural thing, and I, I think that that's the value and I, you know, hearing you say how important ICS has been for you outside of team Rubicon, as far as just the experience of it in the application, I think that the same thing goes with a lot of our other disciplines and a lot of the leadership stuff that we do. It's really making better gray shirts, but it's also making great humans because you you've got an informed group of folks that don't come at it from a bias. Um, you know, of course we, still have the get shit done moniker that we we do with a lot of things. And, you know, from a chainsaw perspective, I know that I've tried to change that a little bit. Like when we're handling the chainsaw, we're just doing some things. And it culminates at the end of the day that we got shit done. But I, I do like that training component, how useful it is for us. It's a good reminder as to we can always use a little bit of extra training. Yeah, for career ways, I think that we all need to, you know, if you're Team Rubicon, for me, you know, when you get involved, some people, you know, they get really involved. But you have to remember that you have your family, you have a mortgage, rent, whatever you need to do, you got to mm -hmm. keep yourself grounded in reality. Because sometimes it is a different reality. Right. You go away for a weekend or a week and an international, I mean, an international deployment is incredible. You get to leave and you right. for, kind of forget all your worries at home. Um, you know, we went to the Philippines in two, at the end of 2012 and it's like a different world. You know what I mean? I have traveled quite a lot, yeah. but it's not vacation. You're actually working and, and stuff. So you always oh, yeah. got to stay grounded in it. Um, and just remember like that you can use this training in your real life to make, you know, a career choice or, you know, change careers totally, which people have done. Kevin is a perfect example of it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah and that's example. all from training and just learning. Thing. Uh, the other thing I got out of it was. As you know, Michael, I'm kind of opinionated. So, um, yeah, just a and, little, uh, just a little. Mm -hmm. You know, in in heavy construction or you know, working in the woods or whatever, if you have your opinion, you would just end up in an argument, and no one would ever change your mind because that's the way it was. Um, when you went to TR right. and we were putting together stuff and trainings, everyone had an opinion, and the best opinion kind mm -hmm. of won, and we had to negotiate with people. That was a good um, a good lesson for me to listen to other people and just to you know. People actually know stuff, you know, a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it definitely yeah. taught me a lesson to be, you know, I need to step back and listen, you know, and we and work together with people and we all need a little bit of that. I think, I think it's a great theme and it's something that's popped up a few times in some of the podcasts where, you know, we're, we're, we're humans. 
you know, we do have our, our opinions. We do have our positions. Uh, some of it comes from, you know, our background. Some of it comes from our traditions, our belief systems, things like that. But I, what I love about this organization is very early on, from signing up to actually going out and doing things, there is this uh, bias for knowledge. And we want you to take this knowledge. We're going to give as much of it as you're willing to take and go apply it. Uh, it's, it's very easy to sit in on an online class or over a weekend class and, and get some knowledge. But the real, the real proof of your uh, desire to get better and, and to do great things is to then take that knowledge and apply it. And, you know, we have plenty of instructors that have, have proven that point time and time again, that the best instructors are some of the best listeners and the best instructors are those who are willing to make mistakes in front of their students, in front of their, you know, if, if you're in a, a, a student role, it, it's okay to make those mistakes. And our curriculum, I think, has been very open to learning by doing and learning through mistakes of your, your own, of others, and there's no shame in that. Um, I think I've said it before on this podcast that we we do not, there's no implicit permission that you don't get to evolve. You have to evolve. Uh, it's 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 not about growing up. It's not about having a different position. Uh, evolving as humans is is very important I, in my mind, and I think we've proved that out in the sword. So, tell me a little bit about the Philippines. What was that all about for you? What what role did you take on when you went there? And what was the experience like? I mean, that's that's a that was a big deal operation for us. That was our first real major international thing, other than. And Haiti up to that point. I don't know. I think we went down to Chile or something before then, but that was a big yeah, deal. Yeah, they just on uh, South Sudan, I believe, as well. Uh, Cal and a couple of guys have oh, been that's here. That's right. Yeah. Um, Steve Hunt was actually up here in New Hampshire, and Steve wanted to go looking at some trees. So it was November. Mm-hmm. I was in his car. We were driving up northern New Hampshire, and he got a phone call Saturday afternoon saying, "You know, we've been watching the typhoon." And he's like, "Hey, I think we're going to go to the Philippines." So I text my wife and I say, go to the basement and gather some stuff. I think I'm going to the Philippines tonight. And she's like, oh, oh well, so I'm uh, probably glad to be rid of me. So it was you know, a, a really fast um, moving thing um, before I, I knew it. Um, I was actually on the plane with Nate Jacobs heading for uh, Los Angeles, the headquarters. Uh, we'd been tracking the typhoon. Mm-hmm. Some people were already ready to go. A lot of damage was done. Um, Sean Horgan had talked to me, you know, before I went and said, Hey, you know, are you going to go? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go. So kind of fast moving thing ended up in Los Angeles with a huge group of people. Everyone was trying to get on the planes. Uh, Christine Parman was there buying tickets. So they had a little, uh, you know, they were only sending little teams and yeah, I am very competitive and I really wanted to get on that plane because, um, <laughs> but another, uh, operation broke out at the same time. I think it was, a, I can't remember where it was, Michigan or somewhere. It was snowing anyway. So they were trying to send people to yeah. two different operations, one international, one national. So it was a really mm-hmm. incredible time to be in Los Angeles sitting on the ground. Um, I was lucky enough to be picked, uh, went in a small team, kind of a construction team they put it under, but we were learning as we went. We put tools into cases. We went to the airport. You know, we got stopped because somebody put gas in the cat in one of the cases that I had my name on. And of course, hey, you know, there's an immigrant with, you know, two stroke inside in the, <laughs> inside in the container getting on the plane. That wasn't a red flag for everybody. So uh, 
we got oh, stopped yeah. a couple of times. So it was myself and actually um, Adam, who's a, a seven foot tall Canadian guy that were traveling together. And um, mm-hmm. we ended up going through Taiwan. We went to the Philippines. Uh, Jake was there, uh, a couple more guys. And we ended up going to a little place, Karagahara. So we, we jumped on a couple of flights and ended up there. Different experience again. And we were working in a hospital that had been devastated, very small group of us. Uh, you know, you, you definitely were right in the middle of it there. And we tried to put a roof on a, a hospital. And then we passed it over to Doctors Without Borders at the time. The operation definitely mm-hmm. opened my eyes up to the international aspect of it and exactly what we could bring mm-hmm. to that different it's a different ball game out there you know there was everyone was in the philippines at the time um you definitely had yeah. to be you know you had to stand up for yourself trying to get your own things done we didn't have much material at the time um but we made do and it was very positive mm-hmm. uh, we came back i think christmas uh thanksgiving we got out of there my, my team got out and more guys stayed but an incredible time for TR to get onto the world stage. For me, I know they'd be to Haiti and South Sudan, a couple more little operations that they had after that. But that was the big one for a lot of people. And um, that changed, yeah. I think, the whole, uh, the whole, the name went out there a little bit more, I think, in the end of 2012. Heading into Christmas that time was a big time for TR. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's an eye opener when you go international stuff. It totally is. We knew we could do it then because we had a good organization. We had, I mean, there was people out there that were, that were absolutely incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Well, and and what I think is it's a testament that even is playing out today during our COVID-19 response. I mean, on a dime, it's like, we're going to figure this out and we're going to go and we're going to go make a difference. And, you know, you may not know exactly what you're going to be doing, but it will present itself very clearly what you're there for. And I think that it's kind of been a, a thread, you know, you can plan and plan and and try and prepare but at the end of the day you're gonna go out there and make an impact and it may not be the impact you thought it was at the very beginning Uh, and and that's what's great about talking to folks who've been around for that kind of time i'm not saying you're old (laughs) (laughs) but i may insinuate that you're old but i'm not gonna actually say it but uh it it is neat to hear kind of how everything starts because everything has a start. You know, we we've heard the story of how the organization started in Haiti, and it's you know Mark Hayward talked about it in his podcast a while back. But it, it's always neat to hear like, yep, this thing happened, and we went, and we didn't know what we were doing, but we figured it out, and we made an impact. And uh, yeah, I, I think the thing that hit me so, when I was in Los Angeles was we were all trying to get on the plane. Everybody, everyone wanted to go, and it was like. You're kind of looking for votes to get on these flights. Um, we had a get together right. the night before. I think I was sitting next to Jonah Thompson at the time. Jake was there, and William, I think, came out. And they made some, you know, they just gave an impromptu speech, and we're just sitting around having some food or whatever. And I think it was Jake that said, you know, I formed this organization, and now I realize that I have to step back because I'm not qualified to go on the teams. So for him, to say, wow. that was the one thing that always stood out that he he said, and I, you know, obviously you've heard him speak many, many times, and uh, Jake is a great guy, but that, that that was the one thing I appreciated. And I think now, you know, in the position that I've, in the last couple of years with some little problems I have going on, you have to step back and leave other people because mm-hmm. I'm not able to go. I wouldn't be able to do my best. And he, he actually said right. that, that. No, he did go to the Philippines and he was there because I was with him. But um, he, he had to step back and he wasn't going in the first original teams because he just said he wasn't qualified to go. He couldn't bring anything to the table at that particular wow. time. 
That's I mean, it's some that's some uh, emotional yeah. intelligence as well. That's, that'd be a yeah, hard yeah. thing to do. I mean, when you start something, you you don't necessarily want to nope. hand it off, and a uh, big challenge. So I, you alluded to something, and I I, I want to go there. Um, I, I want to hear. So you have had some health challenges, and some of those have exhibited themselves. And I've known you long enough where I've seen you where you're chipper and you know clicking your. <laughs> toes your heels together out in the woods um but i've also seen you when when you've been having a rough time and you know i care about you and you know you never want to see your friend going through something but i think in that process there is a silver lining and so i'd like to if you know i, I want you to share that we, we talked about this ahead of time so oh, i'm yeah, not like yeah. surprising you but I, I want to talk about this experience you had a few years ago when you were having some challenges with your health yeah, I was, uh, I, well, you know, I'd been, actually, I stayed in your house and stuff, and I wasn't feeling great, and um, mm -hmm. I knew that something was going on again, um, you know, 2001 transplant and the accident afterwards, it takes it out of you, and a couple more knocks along yeah. the way, I had been working in construction and in the woods and everything else, it, you know, you just, and a lot of miles under the clock, so wasn't mm -hmm. feeling bad, you know, too good, and I knew something was going on again, and things were kind of getting weird, so... Went into my clinic every three months, and literally that I went in for a visit. Uh, Brian Harlow, another friend of mine who I met through TR. Yeah. I, I great, when I said great guy, yeah, um, great guy. Yeah. So I uh, went to the hospital, and, and Brian was with me, and they told me that I uh, my kidney was failing, my transplanted kidney was failing, and I, I needed another one. So just as simple as that. So I walked out, and I guess I was a little bit pale, and Brian said, "Are you okay?" So you know what happened, and I said, "Geez, I, I think they just told me that I, I need a transplant again." After like it was probably seventeen years at this stage, two years ago. So eighteen yeah. years. So yeah. he's like, "Get out of here!" And he thought I was kidding. And Brian has a dry sense of humor, and he's like kidding around. But I couldn't even like comprehend what they told me. So I, I go home and kind of kind of worried about it. And I tell I tell D, I was like, "Hey, I think you know there's something going on. I'm getting sick, and it's below the levels." So I kind of hang in there a while, get my blood work done again. It's definitely in I'm definitely in trouble. So uh, Dana. Um, Braverman, a great friend of mine, um, yep. you know, again, yep. you know, she was calling and asking me how I was doing. And I said, you know, I, I feel kind of crappy and I have to go through these tests. And Jen Lawrence is another great friend. So I yep. guess that Dana, Brian, Jen, and my wife, Dee, um, I needed a transplant. And the doctor said, Jen, give me the literature. And he's like, hey, this is the way you do it. You have to go and look for a living uh, transplant if you can before you get really sick because you're really good at getting the transplant. Yeah. You know, you've done really well with it and it'll take and it'll, everything will be good, you know. But you just have to find somebody because otherwise it's going to take 10 years. Yeah. So like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So they got together and they put something on uh, Facebook and they shared it. And I've never seen it because I, it's kind of a big deal for me. I, I can't look at it. So they, they told me they were going to do it. And I said, I've, it's kind of embarrassing and it's it, like everything else because I didn't want to reach out to people. And I was like, didn't really want to talk about it. So I guess I was being a, an asshole too. So. But um, <laughs> well, that isn't that a, that's kind of implied. Yeah, me, I mean, it's my default. So, um, <laughs> so they went and they put it on uh, Facebook, and there's a, a little uh, office in Boston Medical Center, which which I go to, and it's the old city hospital. It's been around forever. They've done you know thousands of transplants there for decades, and there's a, a couple of uh, there's three or four ladies that work in an office there, and they just do deal with people that aren't interested in donating a kidney to somebody. So it's coming up. I think it was the fourth of July. And one of the ladies had taken um, a couple of days off. So Dana, Jen, and Brian, and Dee had put it on Facebook uh, the day before. 
And then people started calling me, which was the worst thing for me ever to get calls about it because I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. So Dee turned to me one and she's right. like, hey, there's a lot of people writing on this Facebook page. I think it's going to get kind of crazy. I was like, how many? Like four or five people? She's like, no, there's like 20 people already saying they're going to get tested. So I, she was just telling me because I couldn't look. And then Dana was calling me and Jen was texting him, Brian. So I was like, Jesus, it really got on steam. She said, it seems to be people that you don't even know, but they're all associated with Team Rubicon. So people that didn't even right. know me, you know, they saw it online and, and they decided that they wanted to donate. So I said, people probably just being nice, you know. So the very next day, this, <laughs> this lady uh, called me from Boston Medical Center. I know her now and I, I can't, just can't take her name. She called me and she said, hey, Alan, I just want to talk to you. I was on vacation, but I've had to come back in because we've never had anything like the response we just had. We don't know what you've done or what you're involved in, but could you please tell people to stop? Because we actually can only do so many people a day. And, you know, we, we have like 35 people that they narrowed it down to that had offered to do blood work and to get tested immediately. I know you won't want them to, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't. She said, tell whatever you're doing on social media, just tell people just no more. We're overwhelmed. Thank you so much. But you need to stop. So they narrowed it down and. They went from, you know, 34 people down to like 10 and then they went down to the top three. And then they took yeah. the person that would be a perfect match when I was going to get this kidney. And it's actually a, a person who did one of these podcasts, but I found out later. But, uh, yeah. And that person was a perfect match. <laughs> and then we were going to go ahead with it. And he actually knew the date and I didn't. And then somehow my kidney decided uh, that it was feeling better and it started to work again. Huh? So um, it's back up and running and it's going well. And I'm holding steady. So it's been two years now, but... Uh, um, Eli has told me that he's going to hang in there for me. <laughs> that's that's Eli Rivera, who we yeah. we interviewed just a couple, a little bit back, not, yep. not too many episodes back. Who's not too far from you, <laughs> Keen, and uh, probably one of the nicest humans you'll yeah. ever want to meet. Uh, I, that right there. I mean, we could stop recording right now, and and that would be enough because that tells me more about the caliber of people who join this organization because this is not i mean well this is a big deal story i mean that you had a massive amount of people motivated to donate an organ to in some cases somebody yeah. they didn't know and they did that because of their desire to help and that is what makes this humanitarian organization service organization, disaster response organization, whatever the hell you want to call it. It makes it a powerful place. Uh, we care about one another. And I, and I think that, you know, and you and I have had discussions about this and, you know, you're, you're always going to run into people that you don't agree with or that don't see eye to eye with you or have a different motivation or a different um, way of looking at things. But I think at the end of the day, we just really want everybody to be better. And we have a positive intent to the things that we do. And I, I love that story. Uh, I, I love hearing it from you because, yeah, I mean, I, I know your pool of friends out there in New Hampshire, and there are some amazing human beings who also happen to be TR oh, yeah. gray shirts who are wanting to do good work. And, I, you know, I know that you brush this off. Uh, and, and I've, I've said this to you before, but uh, despite the fact that you're this skinny <laughs> Irishman, 
<laughs> with a, a little bit of a, a naughty streak in you and a, and a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, you're probably one of the probably one of the kinder people I've ever met in my life. And you're quick with a smile and and uh, and and I think that that speaks a lot of your own character as well. And uh, thanks for sharing that story. And uh, Eli, I know you're listening, and thank you for being the great human that you are too to be along with that. And and for those who supported. Uh, you on this that's a oh, yeah. that's a big deal offer up something like that i think that's all of you should be congratulated but it's a great story um, yeah it shows it shows <laughs> everybody what so i mean you know i've done so many trainings around the country and at different operations and being involved in every kind of part of tr over the years from all the different trainings and everything else but putting stuff together but you know you fall out with people you disagree you see people coming and going but um I think that just put me in a different, a different spot, like a weird spot about it. Like everybody reached out, people that never heard of me or anything, but it was just because I was part of an organization that, you know, I'm just another person in an organization, but they were willing to do that. That's pretty amazing. Um, but then again, look at the people that are involved. I mean, I myself, um, you know, when you have, you know, Peter Gould uh, passed away and, mm -hmm. and all these guys, like, I mean, Peter was an incredible guy. Um, met Peter for the first time in rerun yeah. enforcement, and then he got involved with TR and saw Peter coming through the ranks. Eli was the same. Eli showed up in Vermont in an operation. Yeah, saw him. Rick Trez, Vermont again. Rick has gone on all the international trips. Brian, a friend of mine, you know, Jen, Dana, Sean Horgan, all these great people. Oh, yeah. Yourself, Jesse. I mean, where would you get a group of friends like that? Only for you know, only without TR, I wouldn't have met all these people. Some of them I can do without. Right. Brian and Jen and stuff, <laughs> I can do it with them, but um, I mean, Eli himself is great, you know, incredible person. It, it, it is, and it's, I, I love that we're all comfortable, you know, giving each other a little bit of grief and, and keeping us all, you know, on the straight and narrow. Um, you know, I know that Jennifer has been working very hard with you uh, over the years with your exposure oh, therapy to your to your fear of clowns. Uh, but I also believe that there's such big hearts that back that all up and that it plays out, you know, day in and day out. The great thing is, is if you're kind to each other, you're going to be kind and careful and purposeful in the communities that you work yeah. in. And, and I, th I think that that plays out really well in, in most of our operations that we do. And, you know, the, spending a lot of time, you know, with some of the folks that, that you've mentioned, you know, the new England group is, is pretty special and, and you guys are, you're all tough as nails and mean. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of care and concern and, you know, you've, you've done more Oklahoma, you've done the Philippines, you've, you've done a lot of trainings. Where's that moment for you that keeps you going? Like you got to go back to it. I mean, you, you've got some great stories that you've told just in, in, the, in a little bit of time we've already had with you, but there's, there's gotta be a, a moment why day in and day out you stick around. I, I think about TR a lot and I've brought a lot, I guess a lot of people have heard the story and I, I brought them in. That was my main motivation was to get more people. You know, I could see how good it was and I was excited for it and bringing people in was the main thing that kept me involved and, you know, motivating people. I think I get a lot out of the organization, but I will say you'll get out with, you know, the old cliche, you'll, you know, whatever you put in, you'll get out. With TRs like that, 
if you're motivated to come in and have a good time and do good it's going to happen if you're coming in and you're looking for you know something else and you're going to think i'm not going to do this i'm not i want to be a boss i want to be a leader it ain't going to happen you just need to be involved do your best be motivated i think you know the trainings are are something that i always go back on because we've done so many of them i love the operations I love seeing that, mm-hmm. but when an, an operation is a different deal for me because I'm so caught up in the operation that I forget. You know, I even forget about right. the people I'm helping sometimes, to be absolutely brutally honest. I worry about the crews, the right. team, because that's kind of my job usually, and I kind of forget about mm-hmm. the work orders and what we're doing. And you know, But the training is, is the thing where I can really kind of take care of a small group of people, make sure everything's running right, and make sure that what I'm doing, they're having fun. And they're going to come back to the next one to try and yeah. get them into the whole TR notion of everything. So I think, you know, that's what always keeps me going. That's what brings me back. And just a sense of belonging to the big group and all the guys that I like hanging around with and, and the girls and stuff. We always have a good time. And um, that'll keep me going. I'll stay around as long as I can. Obviously, the last couple of years I've been like, I work in healthcare. So the COVID stuff has <laughs> put a stop to everything. You know, we get yeah. tested every week. And thank God we've had no positives at work. And, I put a lot of work into it, but I mean, that's what will always bring me around is to know that people get good out of it. They have fun when they come and, you know, we can all hang out, make a friend, make a good connection, maybe help somebody along the way to get a new job, a new career, or maybe, you know, maybe people just need to get away a little bit. You know, there's a lot of people having a lot of problems and maybe they just need to go and do some good for somebody, make them feel better. I think that's the number one thing for me is always just to be motivated to go and have a good time, make the best out of it. I, I, I could not, I could not find a better spot to, to wrap this up because you're, that sentiment is, is that humanitarian principle, you know, that we're always seeking to try and, and bring back in, in to our understanding and into our dialogue. And, Cause you are going to get exactly out of it, what you put into it. And I think you're a great example of that. Uh, and I appreciate your time. Uh, Alan, thanks Thank so you. much. Uh, oh, it's, it's always good. I'm glad yeah. you're on the mend. Keep that, keep that kidney going. Uh, your backups, you know, faithful and true, but, uh, I'd like to see, you keep going for a while, not having to, to go through that again. Oh, yeah. We should be good. Stuff. And Jesse and I'll let one to get me back on the road again. He has some, some kind of RV. He wants me to sleep in with him again. That's kind of weird. Oh, I know. I know all that stuff. It's like it's like bad <laughs> camping. It's not glamping, you know, with Jesse and Junior. I can tell you that. It's not glamorous. Oh, no, it is not. Ah, <laughs> uh, Alan, it's always a pleasure Thanks, to Wayne. talk to you. Thank you for coming on Step Into the Gray. I appreciate it. The caliber of humans that Team Rubicon has in its ranks are nothing short of awesome. Having big hearts and strong will is a characteristic that all gray shirts possess. Humanitarians have a desire to make the world a better place, and their big hearts are making a difference. Well done. Thanks for listening.